0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Before we begin the show, I want to tell you guys about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast right here at BlueWire Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join.
2: Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now?
1: The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear, Be
3: aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna yeah.
2: That change kind of, of thinking started um, last year when we knew there was going to be no fans and Um, You know, the league, they they adjusted or they said the cap floor will be 175. At that point, you know, we've had to start operating. Now, um, it's one of those things you wish we knew that a year ago. Maybe we wouldn't have made every move we did. Maybe we wouldn't have been as aggressive in some areas. Um, But, you know, I think most teams were planning on the cap to be around 210 to 215 um, from talking to some of my peers in the league and how we were viewing it. So now you're talking about instead of going from 198 to 210, um, now you're talking about it going back as far as possibly 175. So uh, definitely a change in plans and and not a lot we could do in season. Our roster, you know, we're still going to pick the best 53 and, and best practice squad. Um, but at this point, um, as we get clarity, and, we, and at this point, we don't have anything other than the 175. There should be some things coming up in meetings with the league in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully that will give us is it 175 is it 180 you know what is it going to be and that will tell us what decisions we we have to make there's probably going to be some tough decisions
3: welcome everybody to another edition of the rock power report podcast i'm your host bill's season ticket holder drew gear that's my producer chris krueger and that was brandon bean on the salary cap decrease and some hard decisions on the horizon from his end-of-season press conference over at buffalobills.com. Chris?
1: Present and accounted for.
3: How does it feel knowing that your GM is willing to admit that, like, hey, cap's falling. I don't know how aggressive we're going to be able to be. I don't know what's going to happen. I did. It sounds like there's an awful lot in the air, right? Yeah, there is. An awful lot of things up in the air. And that leads us to the premise of tonight's show. NFL free agency dominoes. Every year we do kind of an in-depth look at the roster before free agency, and we identify positions where the team could kind of look to, open the, look to the open market to improve. Names and fits we think might exist. I, myself, kind of have a streak going in naming guys who the team will sign.
1: Yeah, I don't like it.
3: I know you don't, because you don't support anything I do well.
1: No, I don't want any recognition for you getting something correct.
3: And we've got a great pair of shows planned with New York Upstate's uh, Ryan Talbot and Matt Perino on the horizon. Where we're going to look at the roster, ways that we can improve coming up to the free agency deadline, areas the team could get better. But there's a process you have to go through philosophically before you can start clearly identifying those needs and names. Off-season dominoes, as I'd like to call them, that have the potential to reshape the market, force a team to reassess its needs, and in some cases change the way they feel about certain players. It's a heavily philosophical conversation, and there's one guy out there who specializes in that kind of conversation who's going to join us tonight to hopefully make sense of my lunacy.
2: Buffalo rumbling. Good to see what someone with real talent can do when great opportunities are given to them instead of me. Are my teeth not white enough? Or like the Great Falls is the bedrock of my life eroding beneath me?
1: The Bruce Exclusive.
2: I'm Bruce Nolan for Eyewitness News. Back to you. (laughs) F***
3: Nolan, how are we doing this evening, sir?
4: Dude, it's a party all the time. Just <laughs> disco balls, dancers, the whole thing. Can't <laughs> even <he> die.
3: <laughs> Chris, you got to pop some bourbon here. Got to pop a little bourbon for this conversation because we're talking to one of the smart people of Buffalo Bills podcasting. For those of you who live under a rock, Bruce Nolan of The Bruce Exclusive, sir, your recent podcasts have been—you you get into some heady stuff over there. I mean, first of all, how do you come up with some of this? Like, where, where, where does some? What's the genesis?
1: First, you're smart. You got to have a smart brain. You're not smart. <laughs> At least your mouth says you're not.
4: <laughs> I think I think these ideas are here. If we slow down, I don't think I deserve really a lot of credit for the content that goes into the podcast, but I think that the methodology kind of brings it out. So I think that if you just keep asking yourself why and how over and over and over and over again to some sort of definitive statement, you're eventually going to get down to the nitty gritty, to the minutia and the foundational pieces that make football and opinions in general go. For example, this week on Thursday the episode is all going to be about the logical fallacy of the appeal to authority and specifically it's about the phrase oh so you think you know more than the team that that comes out a lot in this offseason so it's it's a salient topic because as we talk about roster construction and as you talk about the best way or the most efficient way to build a team these Team philosophies come into contact with each other and creates friction amongst people who love sports and love a team and love an organization. And nowadays, instead of saying things like "Oh, so you think you know more than the team," instead we all just say "Trust the process." That's what you say. Anytime <laughs> something happens that you someone doesn't like, you just respond with "Trust the process." We, we have weaponized "trust the process" as a <laughs> phrase, folks, and because of that. I don't accept that. I don't accept the, well, you think you know more than the GM. I don't accept that as a proper response because it's a logical fallacy. And so we're going to talk a lot about why it's a logical fallacy and why, if you want to have a dissenting opinion, you can, but you can't use that. (laughs) And the reason you can't use that is because it's a logical fallacy. It's just like an ad hominem. It's just like a straw man. It's just like any other foundational logical fallacy. And I thought it was salient to the time of year that we're in. And so, as I start to observe things, and I start to ask myself why and how about the things that I have observed, it kind of brings me to these kind of conclusions, and I want to talk about
3: them. Man, see, and this is why you were the perfect person to have this conversation of NFL dominoes with, because it is a very heady thing to try to take in, because there's, it's almost like a butterfly effect. And each move has a corresponding, res- corresponding result, and it echoes on down the line. And so in order to try to get some of these things lined up, because to your point, <laughs> there is a lot of this going on amongst the fan base, amongst every fan base right now across the country. Everybody's trying to figure out what the team should do, what the team wants to do, where they should spend their money, where they should spend their draft capital. And yet there's so many individual factors that play into that. And I felt like jumping into this end of the pool because I've been sitting here mulling it all over in my head, but I knew I kind of needed, kind of the same way we referred to Paul Wineski as our Sherpa up the Salary Cap Mountain. So too do I kind of approach this, see you as our Sherpa into this philosophical discussion about football. So when we talk about the dominoes that need to fall in order to kind of set the field for what could happen in free agency for the Buffalo Bills, the first one is, is the most relevant as of today, which is the franchise tags. Now franchise tags obviously disrupt the free agency market. They remove talent, and they potentially increase the cost of the players that remain at those positions. It's one of the reasons that I cringe a little bit at super early free agent conversations. Every team, everybody does them. And every team has a few tags to throw around that can make whole podcasts' worth of sports discussion irrelevant a week or two after it airs. I mean, the tweet from Connor Rogers over at uh, Turn, on the, uh, Turn on the Jets. Hilarious. He said, beginning of the franchise tag window today, also known as when 70% of our free agency hype conversations immediately die.
1: <laughs>
3: how, how accurate is that statement, Bruce? It's extremely accurate. It's the same reason why
4: doing a bunch of mock drafts before free agency doesn't quite work, because you have specific moments in the NFL offseason that are paradigm shifts for massive amounts of franchises across the NFL franchise tag. The date that they close, I think, is actually more important than the date it opens, because most of the activity that you get on the franchise tag is happening the last day of the franchise tag window, because. Deadlines spur action or in this case Deadlines spur stalling action Which is what the franchise tag is For a lot of franchises and so In the same way that doing a mock draft Right after the season is kind of weird Doing a bunch of free agency Mocks and projections Before the franchise tags have kind of settled Is also a little weird Now we do it because the NFL Is a 24-7 machine We don't do it necessarily Because we know intrinsically That any part of it or even a majority of it is going to be applicable in a week. We do it because there's a constant need, and so in a constant need for NFL information, the vacuum gets filled, even if it doesn't get filled efficiently, which is what that content is. Oh, that content sure. is inefficient
3: content. Well, and that well, we fill it anyway because we want to. <laughs> well, because we feel like it. But also, Chris, you know me. I'm. I'm...
1: I, ha- I me mean... I hate all of our free agency shows that we do. <laughs> Every year, I hate them.
3: Which is why I took a different approach this year, because I see you dying slowly inside as we try to do these conversations where I sit here, and I get on my podium, and I pound the table, and I bloviate, and I say things, and really, we
1: nobody knows. Well, no. What it is is, I mean, we're going into, what, our sixth year doing this? Mm-hmm. Zach Brown, you called before we signed. And then Ty and Saki, you called before we signed. So it's you being right about things (laughs) Ah! is that why I hate our free agency shows.
3: And you do know what those represent. They're highly educated
1: dart throws. You did call A.J. Klein the first free agency period where we could have signed him in like 16. I don't know if
3: I can dance on that one.
1: But then when we signed him last year, I had to go dig up (laughs) all that audio.
3: Well, the, the, the thing is this. There's just a lot out there, and I'm a tired man. I'm a tired man with a kid and a drinking habit who just doesn't have the time to fill up the news cycle with this stuff. And so instead, I try to find new ways of looking at it. Or sometimes it just comes to me. I don't even have to work for it, like this show. When you talk about the franchise tech, for instance, it not only has the potential to remove talent from the market— It also has the potential to knock some teams out of free agency altogether, given its kind of prohibitive cost. That's the first domino in my mind in terms of free agency that I want to look at tonight, considering it's a huge matzo ball to have in the air for teams around the NFL, and how little say the players have in the matter. Come on, sweetie. Don't be a bitch. Let's talk some numbers here. Here's where the numbers fall for the 2021 projected franchise tenders. I mean. Quarterbacks at twenty-four million, defensive ends at 17 million. It's interesting because with the following with the falling salary cap, it's actually gonna be cheaper than in years past to franchise tag players. Now, you and I and hopefully most of our listeners know that tag values are calculated annually by averaging the top five salaries and increases and decreases by a percentage that corresponds to the percentage of the overall cap. But not all drops in this year's tag are created equal. The quarterback tag falls by 2 million, which I think there's really only one quarterback in the market who seems like he's going to be tagged, and that's Dak Prescott. But offensive line only fell by 300,000. Linebacker only falls by 200,000. And there's almost no change for tagging pass rushers because defensive ends are going to be tagged at just a change of $100,000 compared to last year. Now, Bruce, if you were a GM with a falling cap and a lack of meaningful fluctuation of tag costs, would that deter you from using one?
4: It wouldn't deter me to use for using one. I would be more judicious in the type of player I used it on. So historically, the franchise tag was created and specifically designed for, you guessed it, franchise players. It was a design mechanism to help smaller markets keep their players from being able to bolt and franchise players. But since then, it has become sort of an odd duck where sometimes you'll see players get tagged and you'll be like that. that what, that guy, that guy got tagged. And because of that, I think that a lot of those teams were willing to bite the bullet for a year to buy more time to accumulate data. For a lot of players, Washington and Kirk Cousins come to mind. They essentially used the franchise tag to hang on to him, thinking that there was something more there, and they didn't really want to commit to him long term. So instead, they just bought themselves some time. It's a little bit like taking selling your fiance, you know what, I- I've been trying to set a date, and the venues are all just booked up, so we might just have to wait until next summer. It's the same concept as to what the Washington, at the time, Redskins, did with are cousins and so when you have a barometer for the type of player that you want to use the tag on and that all of a sudden the cap starts shrinking you're probably going to be a little bit more hesitant to use it not necessarily on a franchise player that you're going to be maybe more likely to use it on a franchise player because you're going to buy yourself a year where the cap is bad and say listen I, i might be able to make this work this year but i can make it work next year so i'm going to buy myself another year but You're probably going to be less likely to use it on the Matt Milano's and the Taylor Motons of the world. The players who are not clear cut elite at their position, but are good are maybe even very good at their position. So I think that me personally, we'll see because we've never had to experience anything like this before as football fans. We'll see how the NFL GMs actually do it. But for me, it wouldn't make me less likely to use it on franchise players. It would make me less likely to use it as a stopgap filler on someone I'm trying to determine is a franchise player.
3: Well, and that's fair because I mean, Tyler Dunn had a great piece over at GoLong.com about Alan Robinson and his saga from his both he and his agent's perspective in terms of, hey, he finally wants to hit free agency and the team is kind of negotiated in bad faith, uh, according to all evidence. And yet now there's this looming threat of the the tag being applied to him. And it's almost negotiating in bad faith. And that's something that the NFL players are really going to have to try to work against. Because I don't begrudge anybody who wants to land a payday. I mean, your skills are what they are. I think in a free market economy, you and I could both quit our jobs, post our resume, and go chase whatever money we feel like we're capable of earning. And the market will, in a lot of cases, bear out whatever our value is. So with that in mind knowing that a team could in some cases use it, uh, use it something like the franchise tag against the spirit of what it's intended is somewhat disappointing. Um, if you guys want to read that piece, it's actually up. If you're listening to this right now, it's over at Rockpile Report on our Twitter. Now, with the cap issue in mind, just under half the league, 15 teams as of today have less than $10 million in cap space, and 11 of those teams have negative cap space. When you take a look at the salary cap table for what the projected franchise tag values are, tight ends, the, the, the last one above special teamers, the tight end tag is the smallest and it's $10 million, it would almost seem sort of cost prohibitive for so many teams. I mean, now we've articulated that a lot of those numbers aren't set in stone. And Buffalo could go from their current four and a half million up to 46 or 47 million dollars in cap space by just making some doing some general housekeeping. But when you look at the significant number, I mean 11 teams currently sitting with negative cap space, that would seem to fly in the face of those teams probably aren't using a tag, correct? They might not.
4: It depends on how likely they are to try to have contracts on their book that they really aren't keen on getting out of and they have salaries they can convert to signing bonuses. I think that one of the things that's going to be interesting this offseason as you look at those teams who maybe are at the cap or close to it, but they would like to use the tag is that tags are one year fully guaranteed contracts. There's no place to hide the money, ladies and gentlemen. There's no place to hide the money. There's no creative cap that comes along with a franchise tag. It is what it is. It is the purest form of contractual obligation to the team. And because of that, if you need to make a move to free up that space, you better be darn well sure that that player that you made that contract move on is someone who's going to be around. And so I think that the way that teams navigate this offseason will have ripple effects with their cap situation moving forward because if you choose to do a simple restructure where you convert you just convert salary to signing bonus if you do that with the wrong player and then you decide later on you want to cut that player now you're going to have some acceleration problems so i think specifically selecting the players to do it with is really important and those players that want to hit the free agent market, but the team has a vested interest in tagging them, if they say, okay, we need to free up $10 million, let's find someone who has a $12 million salary this year (laughs) and let's give them a big check. And if they get desperate by doing that to a player who they're not necessarily keen on keeping, then they're gonna have some ripple effect problems next year. So I think that, I don't know if teams are going to be necessarily more likely to to shy away from it because of their cap problems, because we all know that they'll do whatever they have to from a shell game standpoint to keep their talent. It's a matter of specifically deciding what contracts to manipulate that will help them determine whether or not this is going to end up being a fortuitous move for the team or a problem down the line. Because if you write a bad contract or if you renegotiate something and then next year that player that you renegotiated with is someone you don't want to keep anymore, and the player you franchise tagged is now gone, you just kind of shot yourself in the foot for no apparent long-term benefit. You basically bought yourself a year, but in exchange for buying yourself a year, you messed up a little bit of your cap, and now you lost the player anyway. So I think it's, it's a matter of determining who you want to manipulate that will determine whether or not You're going to want to free up the space to make those
3: tags. Now, let me lay out the candidates, just some candidates that are interesting to me in the way that they impact what the Bills are going to be doing. A few scenarios, I'm going to lay them out as I see them. First of all, Tyler Dunn and his piece about Allen Robinson potentially being tagged. It's an unfortunate situation because he could be one of the best wide receivers available in this class for free agency. Then you pivot over to Detroit. You look at Kent Lee Platty. He's at Math Bomb on Twitter. He's the inventor of the relative athletic score. And he's a Lions content creator and draft Nick that we've talked to. He bristled at claims that Kenny Galladay is considered by Ian Rappaport to be a strong candidate to be tagged. You know, said this is going to be a poor decision for the franchise, given his injury history and style of play golf's weaknesses as a passer. Just all of the things that made him valuable walked out the door in the minds of guys who analyze the team the day they lost their quarterback. I mean, to your point, some teams are going to make mistakes. Some teams, mm-hmm. these are going to be guys who maybe you didn't. <laughs> you're going to tag guys. And if you do and they don't fit, it's going to create problems. Um what Kent didn't mention is the fact that such a move would render Detroit non-factors in any big-name UFA acquisitions, because that cap hit would be $16.4 million on the tag, and they're negative cap space right now. So they would have to shuffle contracts just to make room for him, which could preclude them from going further into free agency and giving Goff weapons to make his transition to their offense better. Chris Godwin of Tampa... Another guy who could be tagged. If only to give the team more time to work out a long-term deal. I mean, they have more cap space to work with than some of these other teams. But they're already flush with playmakers. I mean, unless their goal is, hey, let's tag a guy and let's go on another Super Bowl run with Tom Brady. I mean, and Tampa's proven that they're a team that's not scared of using the tag. They tagged Shaq Barrett last year at defensive end, who was a key to their postseason success. Hunter Henry. The apple of a lot of Bills fans' eye at the tight end position. You're talking about a guy who could end up tagged for the second time because the tag number for tight ends is so small. I mean, that, that one prospect alone, Bruce, the fact that tight ends, Hunter Henry is a guy who probably could get $10 million on the open market. So if that's the case, what harm does tagging him for a second time at another $10 million really do?
4: Well, for Henry, it's a little different because when you get tagged two years consecutively, your number is a little different than your first time tag number, because it has to be either the higher of Mm -hmm. the tag number or a certain percentage above your salary from last year. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons why Dak Prescott's franchise tag this year isn't 24. It's thirty seven million dollars fair because because he's been tagged multiple times. And it's kind of what happened with Kirk Cousins. So when you get tagged multiple times, it changes. But very, very, you know, astute observation on Henry. If you know, if he gets cut out of the market from a secondary tag, the Chargers could just be like, listen, I'd like to see you a full year with Justin Herbert. You know, we finally got our guy now. Let's just see what we can get there. But the Chargers really need help on the offensive line. So are they going to be willing to, you know, take a an asset hit to tag hunter henry for a second time and what does that do to the market of gerald everett and exactly. johnny smith exactly and things like that That's the, this is the domino effect that you were talking about when you start to remove things from the market you end up with a supply and demand problem and because of that you end up with people getting overpaid and then it trickles down so we talked about franchise tagging franchise players right is Johnu smith a franchise player absolutely no. not but absolutely not but all of a sudden he gets it tagged. Now it trickles into everything else and things like that. Is Hunter Henry a franchise player? Maybe, maybe. I mean, he's not a—he's not on the same level as you know Travis Kelsey and George Kittle and Darren Waller, right? But he's in that next tier beneath them. So your opinion of who's a franchise player then trickles in to the tier below them on the open free agent market, and it drives the price up. But it also drives the price up for the tagged player. Because if you want to negotiate with a tagged player, your first offer has to come in at whatever the tag number was. That's the point. So yep. if you have a conversation with a quarterback and you say, OK, I, w- I want to talk about your contract extension, the agent's going to open with what are the tag numbers for the first two years if you do this? Because otherwise, you might as well just tag him exactly. for the next two
3: years, and we walk like Kirk Cousins. Well, and so. that's the thing is that there's so many, there's so much angling going on between team and agent and player. There's a lot of different ways a lot of these situations could play out. And that's what's so interesting to me. While while people are sitting here talking about, uh, among podcasters and bloggers, about how, well, the team should do this. And here's a player I'd love the team to chase. You don't even know if you can get him. And not only that, but you might have your own house to keep in order. The final name I'm going to throw out here, and I'm going to explain some of these positions in a minute. Offensive tackle uh, Taylor Moten of Carolina. There's already talk that they could tag him as a right tackle in an effort to try to arm-wrestle him into a long-term contract. Now, I mentioned each of these positions and players specifically for a reason. Because there's ripple effects that filter down to our Buffalo Bills. The biggest one might be Taylor Moten. The right Taylor, the right tackle position only has 14 names listed today as UFA, according to Spotrack. Now, maybe there's some left tackle, swing tackle prospects who are ready to move up or ready to play a bigger role, but in terms of proven commodities, the market is bare. I mean, for fuck's sake, Ty Secchi and LaRaven Clark are near the top of the list in terms of recognizable names up for free agency this year. So if Carolina were to tag Moten, that would make our impending free agent Darrell Williams the Arguably the biggest name on the tackle market, just by virtue, not not just by virtue of his play in 2020, but the fact that he's one of the few who's still 29, just played at a high level, and has probably another two or three years left of solid play in the right system. Would that or would that not start an absolute bidding war for his services? It absolutely would,
4: especially when you consider that Darrell Williams still hasn't gotten paid. This is really important. So Daryl Williams was a Bills free agent target darling years ago after coming off of an all pro season in 2017. Then there was discussions. Okay, well, he seems like a logical fit for the Buffalo Bills. And he ended up going back to Carolina and then he got shuffled all the way around and didn't really play well. And then all of a sudden he ends up in the bill's lap out a one year 2.25 million dollar deal and then he finally realizes that potential he saw beginning to develop in 2017 he still hasn't gotten his big deal it's not like he's now on his third contract or fourth contract and the man's gotten paid that's not the situation with Darrell williams Darrell williams still hasn't gotten his bag yet metaphorically speaking as far as free agency contracts go so if you tag moton and then Daryl Williams becomes a hot commodity on the right tackle market. That makes it harder for him to stay. And then that trickles into the discussions. OK, so should the Bills tag Williams now? Yes. And it just keeps going down and down in the exactly. chain, driving the price up for the remaining people. Because, again, the supply dries up.
3: The number dr- the number would jump. Right now, Spotrak has g- very generously in the Bills' favor listed his market value as $8 million. Well, if Moten gets a, taken off the market, second I give him that. And if Moten gets taken off the market, the cap number is 14.5 million for his services. But that might be the cost of admission. If you want to keep him in town, that may be the starting point. If he's the only name on the market and you know you need if you know you're entering a competitive window and can't afford any disruption, now, you might be forced to throw your franchise tag at a guy who you didn't expect to have to pay that much simply because of something someone else did. And that's why I think a lot of these free agency conversations are so premature. I mean, that's, it really are. At the tight end position, again, we talked about it. You know, Hunter Henry, John o. Smith, are they worth whatever the tag is? Even if Hunter Henry hits the market, they say he's worth $10 million. If John o. Smith gets tagged, which is now being talked about in NFL circles. What's left on the market? There's been talk amongst Bills fans for weeks about go out and just sign a tight end. Just sign a good tight end and fix our offense. Well, if what you're left with are players the caliber of Gerald Everett and the ever-aging Jared Cook, there's no way you can justify paying more than $9 million a year for those guys, right?
4: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I wouldn't even go that high for either one of them.
3: Now, so then in that case, it really throws a wrench into a season offseason where you thought you could rebuild your tight end position in free agency, doesn't it?
4: Absolutely. And This is why really identifying a position as something that you want to attack in free agency just doesn't always work out the way you want it to because of things that other teams do. And so because of that, this is one of the reasons why the idea that you build through the draft is so important is because if you get a second round player, you're paying less than two million dollars a year for that guy for four years. The value is there in the draft. That's where you get good players on rookie deals. And the biggest value in the NFL is a good player on a rookie deal. It's not debatable. And because of that, you can use free agency specifically to attack things that are A, time-sensitive, and B, good value. We talked about this when I did the Book of Bruce podcast a couple weeks ago, where I specifically outlined my particular preferences to roster building. And I outlined some free agent types, not free agent names, but free agent archetypes that I like approaching from a tactical standpoint. And they're all based around value someone who potentially was underutilized because they were hurt, someone who was underutilized because they were stuck behind really, really good players. That's how you get good value. That's how you get Micah Hyde. That's yes. how you get
3: Jordan Poyer. Exactly.
4: That's And that's the way you should approach free agency well, as often as humanly possible, unless someone like Mario Williams
3: unexpectedly becomes available. And look at how our GM has approached it in his time here. I mean, there's a reason we refer to him as a contractual gangster. He has found a way to not only find value, but also he's found a way... To, hey, I'm going to take a flyer on a guy and I'm going to build a contract that seems big, but it also is structured in a way that's team friendly. That gives me some confidence heading into this. The wide receiver position in terms of the tags, it's not even. I'm not even interested in them because I think the Bills could be players in the market, kind of the way that they would be at tackle or at tight end. Instead, it's because the, numbers, the number of bodies available on the open market could be the key to getting some of our in-house contractual messes squared away. Something we didn't dive into a ton when we had Paul Wineski on the show for our salary cap primer was the topic of John Brown and the fact that there exists this world where we retain him without having to pay him a $9 million cap hit. Bean has an established history. Of being able to re- negotiate reduced salaries for veteran players in lieu of guaranteed in lieu of guaranteed cash and job security, he's done it with Star He's done it with Patrick Demarco. He's done it with Tyler Croft. He did it with Richie Incognito before he had another mental breakdown and was throwing weights at people in a gym
1: and blocking us on Twitter. Blocked us on Twitter.
3: <laughs> it's actually one of the blocks I'm I'm proud of that. Like, something I said in the middle of a game, one of my drunken game day rants, got us blocked by Richie Incognito. And the reason that's funny to me is because this is a guy who smashed his own Ferrari with a baseball bat. And yet something I said was a bridge too far for him.
4: He drew the line at Drew Gear. That's where he drew the line. (laughs) Ferrari, baseball bat, that's fine. Drew Geer, no, I'm out of here. Yeah, we can't have that. We can't have any of this. No, I'm
3: done. So, the same could be done for John Brown, but the fewer bodies on the wide receiver market and a potentially raised salary floor for their services by way of multiple tags across the position could hurt our chances of con- convincing him to take less money to stick around. Is that a. Fa- I- I've kind of woven this idea. Do you think my idea is sound in principle?
4: I do think your idea is sound in principle. If you go to John Brown and you say, listen, I don't think the market is great out there right now for you, but I don't really want to cut you. So what if I reduce your salary to $5 million this year, but I give it fully guaranteed? And then next year, I'll give you another $4 million fully guaranteed. So you're still going to get your $9 million. That's going to be fully guaranteed, but you're just not going to get it this year. So I'll sign you to a one-year extension. Right. You're you're not going to get your seven point eight million dollars that you got this year. You're going to get five million this year guaranteed and then four million next year guaranteed. Yep. So, you know, you're going to get your money. The market may not dictate that. Well, that entire conversation is hinged upon the fact that what you said about John Brown's market is true. Because if what you told him about his market isn't true, and his agent's able to verify that through absolutely not tampering at all, <laughs> but having a hypothetical discussion with the team, let's say there was a receiver who was a thousand-yard receiver <laughs> last year, right, who maybe was, became available for a $7.9 million cap hit and he got released for that reason. Hypothetically speaking, Mr. and Mrs. Arizona Cardinals or Mr. and Mrs. Houston Texans, right, what would a player like that be worth? Right. And because those conversations happen, the conversations that Brandon Bean has when he does these restructures with Tyler Croft, for example. Right. When you have these conversations, they only work because the foundational principle of the conversation is true, which is John Brown's market. But if a bunch of receivers get tagged and John Brown's market now inflates, that's no longer true, which impacts your ability as a GM to be able to have that conversation and have any leverage.
3: One hundred percent. And then when you look at the Buffalo Bills' usage of the tag, well, Buffalo could tag someone outside of tackle. I think that the odds of that happening are pretty slim. I know that, again, this gets talked about, and this goes back to my just hatred of any kind of Facebook sports conversation, radio conversation that takes callers. I want to walk people through this in terms of all of the tagging Milano this is what Bean had to say this year in his end-of-season press conference.
2: Matt is a very good player. Um, what a great job he's done since he came in here to improve from, from 2017 to now. Um, you know, his biggest thing is just is being able to play 16 games. You know, that would be the first thing he'll tell you. It's just he had some nicks here and there. And so it's just it's finding that balance. Um, but... Um, you know we'd love to be able to get Matt back he knows that I've shared that with him I'm sure Sean has as well Uh, the business side matters you know he he wants to and he's earned the right to go to free agency and 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 see what his market bears but um, you know we'll we'll do our best to retain him and as many guys as we can we just again I don't even know the numbers yet and what it's going to be and and there's going to be some tough decisions unfortunately for us whether it's letting guys go on this roster or having to watch guys leave. That's
1: Brandon Bean from his season-ending press conference at buffalobills.com.
3: Chris, earned the right. Earned the right. Uh, you and I, we've we've heard Bean use that verbiage
1: before, right? I mean, I, th- I almost feel like you've tweeted about it. Hey, Brandon! How dumb do you think I am? He said it last year. He... Jordan Phillips he's earned the right to go to free agency makes me believe that Matt Milano's not coming back
3: Jordan Phillips Shaq Lawson both these guys they earned the right and they both are in the right to play in somebody else's uniform I mean that's not a bridge it's not like we're drawing wild conclusions here Bruce it sounds an awful lot like that guy's just not going to be back in a Bill's uniform right oh I would be shocked at this point
4: and, and, and Matt Milano was back in a Bills uniform in 2021.
3: And for people talking about a franchise tag at 14 million for a guy who he says, hey, you've earned the right, which is almost like a death knell in itself. And he made a point of mentioning the injury history that almost just to me, I've negotiated enough things with people at a high level in terms of business. I know what you're doing. Yeah, he's talking to the fans. Yeah, what you're doing doing is you're you're almost like an attorney and you're laying the groundwork. You're making an opening statement here and you're laying the groundwork of what your later kind of finale is going to land on. When he leaves, you're going to go, well, we couldn't give that much money to a guy who just wasn't healthy every year of his kid. It's smart, but for smart fans, it's kind of it's transparent. You can see through it.
4: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Brandon Bean is setting us up for the reasons why they had a different number than Matt Milano's agent did. And when you say you've earned the right, I think it's really interesting. So anytime Brandon Bean in the future uses the franchise tag, does that mean that player did not earn the right? to a free agency because they got (laughs) tagged because i have a feeling that won't come back to bite (laughs) him when he uses a franchise tag in the future well i'm sorry did he not earn the right so matt milano and jordan phillips and shaq lawson they earned the right but this guy this random future tagged player in a future universe they did not earn the right to see what their market bears what you earn the right to see what your market bears means there's a disagreement here (laughs) on your value and so i'll tell you what we'll stay in touch Go out there, and if the market reflects the value that you, you and your agent think that it reflects, then you know what? Good luck to you. It's been a great couple of years. And if not, we're still open to have a conversation. That's what that phrase means to me. And very, very, very rarely, when a player hits the free agent market, do they come back no. to the team that I
3: mean, they're leaving. Look at Shaq Lawson. Shaq Lawson flat out said, Hey, I love the Buffalo Bills, and they made me a fair offer, but Miami came over the top, and I had to do what was best for my family. And, that's, and right. that's the end of the story. And I think the team knew that, which is why they're just like, look, we're going to make this an amic. It's like, Chris, I know you probably haven't had this uh, opportunity in your lifetime, but it's like when you're breaking up with a girl and you're just like, look, you're great. It, the, the pro- it's not you, it's me. I just have expectations and I have something. It's just not going to work. I mean, maybe if you could find a way to meet the things I want, but I don't think you can, so why don't you go look for somebody else? Why don't I, you go find I've somebody used. who fits your lifestyle, who fits this thing that you wanna be? I mean, for me it was usually, hey, you wanna some, you want date somebody who isn't gonna be out at the bar until two o'clock in the morning. Who feels it necessary to call once in a while? <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things. And you just put it on them and say, look, you go test the market. You go out there Absolutely. and see what
4: you're worth. If you tell yourself and you <laughs> tell me that you can do better, then go out and do better. And if you can't do better, then I might still be available. How often do those conversations lead in lasting relationships? Anybody?
3: Exactly. So as there's a number, another domino here. We're going to kind of fly through this one because I think it's just hilarious in nature. But the fallout of the Deshaun Watson trade to the AFC East and some people's hand-wringing over potential impact on the Bills spending. And I've seen this one making the rounds on social media, and it's intensified as fan hand-wringing in the media's will-he-won't-he reporting cycle on the Deshaun Watson saga down in Houston. It's kind of ramped up, and it's going to continue. And now they're talking to other players who have— there was a piece at Pro Football Talk where they spoke to De- Stefan Diggs. About how did you force your way off their roster? And it's like, okay, this is almost like you're willing it to happen. You, as a media, are trying to will it to happen just so you have something to talk about. So much has been said and discussed about the type of impact obtaining Watson could be had, it could have on a team who would get him, what the cost could be. I guess it's been all over the map. But one thing I don't think has gotten enough press is the potential impact on the free agent market. And just the decision-making around the conference and division that a move that landscape altering could have. I mean, on our division, all three of our divisional opponents have been linked to Deshaun Watson in some way, shape, or form. And it makes sense to a degree. The Jets, they're shopping Darnold after just three seasons. Although I just made a Seagram's bet with a Jets fan this week who believes that Darnold will yield a first-round pick, which I think is lunacy yield a first-round pick in... In trade. Soccer? (laughs) In soccer! Yeah, that's my point. Like, he's going to get... He's convinced it's going to yield a first-round pick. But Donald is on the trading block after just three seasons. Everyone except for Miami's head coach seems to be up and down on whether two is the future of the team. And New England doesn't even have a starting quarterback in the building. And while the Watson trade is a huge deal... I guess it's just one of those things that, I don't know, when you look at teams who make sense, it would really hurt our divisional opponents. I mean, Watson has a $15 million cap hit now in 2021, but that would balloon to $40 million in 2022. The two teams with the most available cap space to absorb that contract in our division, the Jets and New England, ranking second and third in the NFL in cap space, aren't just a singular quarterback away from competing. And that balloon next year could hinder their ability to continue what might be a lengthy rebuild for each of those teams. And then, what was it, uh, We were talking about it with Scott Mason over in our AFC's Roundup podcast about how Joe Douglas' his press conference about what he thought about the rebuilding process of his team and what it needed. Chris, he started describing, well, we need, we need good coverage players and we need physicality in the trenches and we need dynamic running backs and we need a, a, we need accurate uh throwers of the football and it's like wait a minute are you describing a whole ass football team because that's what it sounds like it sounds like you're telling me you need a whole football team
4: <laughs> I just so aside from that everything's good
3: yeah aside from that everything's good you know you, that, that, that's all they need And then you look at a team like the Patriots, they lack star power at any position of note, specifically the skill positions, and their defensive core has aged significantly. So that's another team where there's a rebuild coming whether you like it or not. Now, how much do you believe that the Texans, this public reluctance to trade him, is, to me, it seems like a trap. Like they're just trying to make someone come over the top, Right. I mean, it seems likely to me that you're
4: fishing. I mean, when you go fishing, and you know that the bait that you're throwing in is expensive, you're only going to toss it in if you know you're going to get a big fish back. That's just the way this is. They're absolutely going. They're they're going ham. And first off, let's let's just make sure that we before we get even further in this discussion. The Jared Stidham disrespect is real, real. I mean, so real from you. I specifically waited until you were taking a drink of water to say that because I wanted to see if you would spit it out. <laughs> because I mean, listen, it, it's, it's, it's disrespect is real. Jared Stidham is out there paying very close attention. Haven't you watched Josh Allen's Instagram? He's paying very close attention to the way Josh Allen cuts pizza. Wow. He wants to do everything just like Josh Allen.
3: I'll tell you what, Jared Stidham, he hails from Auburn, which has only yielded... Uh, Am I, uh, what, what, one meaningful NFL Cam, quarterback? Cam Newton? Yeah. Who's scam, no longer scam good. Scam Newton? Scam Newton? Cam Newton. Scam? I'm Cam. sorry. Scam Newton. Um, so they've yielded one meaningful NFL quarterback, and they'll now return to the abyss. That That's just what they're doomed to do. I mean, Stidham's okay. He seems like a nice guy. He can watch our quarterback cut pizza for the rest of his life. It's not going to help him throw a football. And that's ultimately what... That's what makes you a starter in the NFL. Hey, Chris, roll Tide. <laughs>
4: roll Tide. Not that there's tide. bias involved here. No bias <laughs> involved against Auburn at all. No bias. I don't even no, think you're right? qualified to talk about Auburn players anymore. because everyone can just smell it on you. That could they can be. Fair. Smell the roll Tide coming out of your pores. You,
3: you might be. You might be correct in that. I'm. I'm pretty sure I hate all of them with a passion. I hope they all fail. I hope everything that comes out of Auburn just falls into the abyss along with Jared Stidham. But with that said, do you agree that there exists an environment where some of these teams, because the ones who seem most equipped to chase him, like the Jets, like the Patriots who have these gobs of cap space and maybe some of these middling teams like Denver, like Chicago, like there's an impact on the free agent market because if they're all sitting around, I mean, there's talk that this could go straight up to the draft That they could wait to make this trade until draft day. If you're part of the one of the a fan of one of these franchises and you're hearing, hey, this could go to the deadline, but also these teams are very much in on Deshaun Watson, those teams might almost have to slow play free agency just to make sure they have the cap space to absorb the contract. If (laughs) how wise is that in your mind?
4: I think it adjusts based on the balloon that you talked about. So fifteen million dollars a year this year for the cap hit for Deshaun Watson, like you mentioned, isn't that bad. It's not the twenty twenty one cap space they have to worry about. It's the twenty twenty two cap space yes. they have to worry about, which is the balloon to forty million. So what you may see is if you have a team like the Carolina Panthers who are attempting to, you know, get better in the second year of Matt Rule's, you know, leadership there. If you have a team like that and you know that you're going to pursue a quarterback who has a $40 million cap hit in 2022, are you going to structure the deals that you sign people to this year so that they're front loaded and that you end up with a, a smaller cap hit next year in anticipation of Deshaun Watson? And then if you do that... Does that suck up more of your space this year and then you don't get Deshaun Watson? So you missed out on opportunity that you would have had available in 2021 because you didn't get him. And then you add all this to the fact that Houston very well might not trade him. They might just sit on him because let's be honest. We have a special type of situation brewing in Houston where you have an ownership group. And a leadership group that's brand new and they might not want to kowtow to the demands of a player right when they just walked in the door. So they might take a hardline stance and say, you know what, I'll play chicken with you. I don't think they should do that, but I wouldn't be shocked if they did. Then you add that to the mix and Deshaun Watson's value now starts to go weird all over the place. And then the trade deadline comes and players get hurt and now all of a sudden you have a different set of suitors for Deshaun Watson and it just gets more and more progressively complicated as the time drags on.
3: Do you want to be a part of one of the franchises that's sitting on their hands when free agency starts thinking I might be in on Deshaun Watson so I better not make a move?
4: It depends why they're sitting on their hands. If they're sitting on their hands because they they need to be in on Deshaun Watson, then no. If you're sitting on your hands because you want to be in on deshaun watson then that's different so carolina is the example that i used before and carolina could very easily run it back with teddy bridgewater matt Rule's got a long contract ladies and gentlemen he's in no hurry to win right now he's in year two of a very long contract of what everyone understood was going to be a significant rebuild so if he has to run it back with teddy bridgewater who was not good in 2021 nobody's going to call for his head in twenty twenty one if he runs it back with Teddy Bridgewater so he can afford to slow play it a little bit and if Deshaun Watson comes Deshaun Watson comes let's make sure we have some availability but you know what if I have to run it back with Teddy Bridgewater so be it now you have a different team like the New York Jets the New York Jets either have to swing a trade for Watson or pick a quarterback at two because if you run it back with Sam Darrell and he somehow doesn't end up taking this miraculous first next step that everyone assumes that he's going to take in the absence of Adam Gase, then all of a sudden you might not be bad enough to pick a quarterback next year. What if Sam Darnold improves from terrible to just bad? What if that happens? What if they end up going six and ten and they're picking number nine next year? And all of a sudden they missed out on Deshaun Watson and they missed out on swinging at a quarterback at number two overall. That's why I don't think the Jets are going to sit on it. I don't think the Jets are going to sit on Darnold for another year. I really don't because you don't know if you're going to be this bad again. And I say that with a tinge of optimism in
3: my voice. Yeah, rightly.
4: Congratulations, guys. We're bad. <laughs> we have a shot at something like this. And sometimes we've proven from Dick Duran, you can fluke your way into a seven and nine. Oh, in fact, Jesus. You can do it multiple years in a row. And Dick. when you have that, you are in quarterback purgatory. And that's. The worst possible place you could be, especially if you had a crack at a quarterback and you missed it.
3: Here's the best part, Chris. He can see us, right? Bruce can see us as we're doing this podcast, but we can't see him in typical Bruce fashion, which honestly... FBI
1: I, fashion. I
3: don't even care. But what I love is that he gets to watch me have a glass of whiskey in front of me, but he just invoked Dick Duron, which means I'm obligated to crack a beer because you just... You cut me deep, man. You're going to bring up sins of the past like that. Well, you've... Refer to
1: <sighs> Sean McDermott as Dick Duran many a time. Yeah, and how season. many beers deep am I when I say things like that? Well, you say it on a Sunday. So. Yeah,
3: it's on a Sunday afternoon after I'm a 12-pack deep. I'm capable of anything at that point. You're lucky I haven't set fire to things that you enjoy. Here's what I will, and I, I just want to pick your brain. One last thing before we move on to one of the biggest questions of the offseason for the Buffalo Bills. I've seen growing chatter amongst Bills fans on social media. As the Watson to Miami or Watson to New England or Watson to the New York Jets talk ramps up about us how the fact that he might end up in our division using a scale of the majestic to Ace Ventura Pet Detective Two, just how much nonsense is that concept?
4: It's Bruce Almighty level of nonsense, (laughs) which is the best Jim Carrey movie. So, yeah, that's right. I went through. I actually, I actually love that. Everyone thinks it's, ju- it's necessarily just a gimmick. I actually really enjoy Bruce Almighty. I think it's a good, wholesome movie. Who when doesn't? I walk away from it, I want to be a better person. Like, I want to go, like, help someone on the side of the road. And that's awesome. That's a good feel. You feel good when you're done watching that movie. And so it's that level of nonsense because I understand if a team makes a maneuver that changes stylistically how they play. When the Baltimore Ravens shifted from Flacco to Lamar Jackson, stylistically, their team is now different, which means the teams in their division now have to defend them differently. And I get that. But acquiring Deshaun Watson for the Miami Dolphins changes their level of talent, but it doesn't alter the Buffalo Bills' plans because the Buffalo Bills' plans are just acquiring more talent and getting better. Stylistically, they're not making adjustments to Miami based on the players that they're going to acquire if they get Deshaun Watson. Thank you. I, I mean, just, I did, they're a harder team to defend now because they're better because, I don't know, Deshaun Watson's better than Tua Tagovailoa. I don't think that's a
3: hot take. I, I've seen everything days. from the Bills need to draft nothing but defensive linemen or the Bills need to draft a cornerback a with their first pick. Literally just in response to this question, in my head I just I slap my forehead and I... Take a long pull out of my glass, and I—I I swear to God, sometimes it's other Bills fans that make me drink. Now that the now that the team is good, it used to be that the team was the thing damaging my lick my liver. Now it might be the fans. Now it's my we fellow do that, fans though. doing. We this do that thing. all the time. What we do is we
4: take the most public of the evidence. And we weight that far more than the predominance of the evidence. Yes. So you have you have this preponderance of the evidence all around you as far as 16 games plus the playoffs. You have all this evidence and we choose to throw out the preponderance of the evidence for whatever was the most public of the evidence. Whatever happened most recently, whatever was the Super Bowl, we just throw it all out. I'll never forget a couple years ago, the four quarterbacks remaining in the AFC and NFC championship games were Blake Bortles case Keenum Tom Brady those were three of the top four quarterbacks and the fourth one was Nick Foles and then all of a sudden the narrative going around was maybe it isn't a quarterback driven league anymore maybe it's a team driven league and it got all the likes and retweets on Twitter and we've just forgotten the massive amount of sample size that tells you that's wrong because the most recent thing seemed to support that view which is just bad data science and really let's be honest. Fandom has a tendency to lead us toward bad data science.
3: Oh, listen, I, Chris, how much bad data science have you heard from me on a Sunday?
1: (laughs) I mean, every every Sunday it's a thing.
3: Mm. Oh, God, that beer chaser, it just hits so smooth. The final point that we have, the last domino, specifically as it applies to the Buffalo Bills, the potential signing of former Texans defensive lineman J.J. Watt. Now, I know that there's been other podcasts who have devoted time over the last week and change to discussing the pros, the cons, the cap ramifications of J.J. Watt, including yourself. You've ruminated on social media about this. I want to know, just cliff notes, your thoughts on a J.J. Watt signing at a base level.
4: I'm fine with it. If... The value is there. And that's really important. If you tell me that you want to give J.J. Watt a tier one pass rusher contract, which is 20 plus million dollars a year, um, then I'm all the way out.
3: No, I'll shoot it. I'll, g- I'll, I'll, I'll shoot my refrigerator with a firearm. Like Everything <laughs> is a value
4: proposition. Larissa, if you're listening to and this, and I apologize. It's what you give versus what you get. And I think this is really important. The larger the gap is. Between a veteran minimum contract and a market tier one contract at a position, the more important value becomes. If the veteran minimum is four hundred thousand dollars, and the highest paid player at that position makes five million dollars, value is not as important as if the veteran minimum is four hundred thousand dollars and the highest paid position at that highest paid player at that position makes twenty five million dollars a year, because it's a gradient. Value becomes more important the higher and the wider the gap. And Miles Garrett and Joey Bosa are making twenty five plus million dollars a year. So if you get JJ Watt at twelve million, I'm fine. You can free up twelve million. Goodness gracious, you cut Vernon Butler, you get eight right there. <laughs> so I'm okay with and I'm by the way, I'm all I'm all the way on releasing Vernon Butler. I I was not signing to begin with. I I was okay with
3: him last year. I got happy about him after the Steelers game. I go, look at this guy. He's being a one tech. It's great. But then with star coming back or literally anyone else taking even a rookie taking that job. I say to myself, Vernon Butler, you spent half our season looking like a fat man on roller skates. I don't need you. Not for that money.
4: yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm completely fine with that. And so if you get JJ Watt at 12 million, I'm fine. But if you look at some of the spot track numbers for these pass rushers, Von Miller 10 million. Do I like Watt at 12 million better than Miller at 10 million? Yes. How about Bud Dupree at 18 million? Do I like Watt at 12 million better than D- Bud Dupree at 18? Yes, I do.
3: Well, and that's where this comes down to. And I want to preface my thoughts because we haven't talked about it on this podcast yet. My thoughts on JJ Watt, are, I want to preface this all but I understand both sides of the coin. From the staunch supporters of the move who are willing to call our local sports radio station to say things like, Mar- Hey, Mario Williams couldn't hold JJ Watts jockstrap. This despite Williams being pretty damn good when we signed him and in what? his first couple <laughs> years in Buffalo. And he'd be even more impactful. Well,. <laughs> Mario Williams was a first-team All-Pro while he was here. Yes. To the folks who say that J.J. Watt is too old and that his numbers make him, he's washed, he's
1: over the hill, he hasn't produced anything in years. He's had two full seasons in the last five.
3: Okay. Well, first of all, I want to present an example of how stats on Watt could be twisted to fit a narrative. Watt only had five sacks in 2020, so he's washed up. That's a statement I've heard people make. Of the 10 players who finished with double-digit sacks in the NFL last year, all but three of them played for teams that were in the bottom 12 of the NFL for rushing attempts against. Pittsburgh was 12th, and T.J. Watt led the NFL in sacks, which is why I felt like I had to go to 12. Meanwhile, J.J. Watt's Texans were almost 100 rushing attempts against worse than everybody. They were the third most rushed against defense in the NFL. That doesn't lend itself to opportunities as a pass rusher and underscores how successful teams can dictate play to their opponents with sizable leads and can be more aggressive with their pass rushers, which leads to a certain statistical opportunism. Meanwhile, in terms of simply being disruptive at the line of scrimmage, even being one of the better players on a subpar defensive line, Watt tied for third among all defensive players in the NFL for tackles for loss with 15 illustrating that he may still have some gas left in the tank. And for what it's worth, the Bills were 11th in rushes against last year, given how they too made teams play a lot of catch-up. We finished in the bottom just like the down there at the bottom of the league, kind of the same way T.J. Watt got the benefit from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, what's interesting to me about the move is how the team handles it. I'm calling it to Watt or not to Watt that is the question <laughs> it should also be looked at in terms of what else exists out there in terms of opportunity cost now Bruce that's a term you run into every day in your everyday life right opportunity Absol- cost um
4: maybe maybe not absolutely nice try FBI <laughs> I mean, maybe, yeah no, I, I use that phrase all, all the time in the podcast so whether or not it's it's applicable in my real life is not not really relevant, but opportunity cost is a big part of this. I, I already mentioned guess. Miller and Dupree. How about Shaq Barrett at 19 million? Yannick Agakwa at 15? Trey Henderson at Trey Hendrickson at 10? How about How about Lawson? How about Carl Lawson from the Bengals at 8.8? Well, that this is, is it. Oh,
3: no, you just hit a note. you node. can't you get Watt, I'll take Carl Lawson. You just hit the nail on the head. And here's what I did. Chris, what did I send to you today?
1: A chart that I refused to look at. <laughs>
3: Because people know that I'm a, I'm a whore when it comes to trend analysis and data aggregation. So what I did was I made a chart of the top pass rushers out there in free agency. And I'd, I'd like to say that in terms of market conditions, pass rushers by and large picked a bad year to flood the free agent market. I mean, with the salary cap falling at one of the second most premium positions in football, it just sucks. The average age, when you look at the top producing defensive ends from last year who are currently on the market, right now there are, how many are on my chart here, let me just check it, 14. Out of the 14 of them, the average age is 27. 11 of them are under the age of 30. Five of them are under the age of 28 who had more than five sacks. Three of those guys had double-digit sacks who are under the age of 28. Those are guys in their prime. Then, when you factor in the fact that you could have guys who could be cap casualties, like Cleveland's Olivier Verdon, (laughs) and you're looking at a market that's brimming with young pass rush talent with a solid body of work, Bruce... Would you at least agree with me that that checks out? So I'm not crazy.
4: Absolutely. When you look at the pass rusher kind of category, and then you compare it to other categories, like we just talked about with right tackle, for example, the pickings are a lot slimmer at other, other parts of the roster than they are at pass rusher. I just mentioned Watt, Miller, Dupree, Barrett, Ngakwe, Hendrickson, Lawson. That's seven right off the top of the bat that are going to get paid reasonable contracts. And then that doesn't even include anybody you talked about as far as cap casualties go. So it's a lot better market for teams, for pass rushers, than it is for right tackle, for example, or tight end. So, yeah, I would say it's, it's if you want somebody, the market is there.
3: So that's where and that's why I love I when you, and it all sparked in my head when you mentioned Carl Lawson, because there's an opportunity cost to signing a J.J. Watt. You're talking about getting a guy who's a multiple-time defensive MVP. He's 32. Maybe he does statistically still have – statistics don't trend in his favor, but then there's some things you look at and say maybe he's still got some disruption to him, to his game. Maybe he could bear fruit for the Buffalo Bills the way obtaining another premier player in the NFL like Stephon Diggs did for our defense. A name – you just gave a name to your defense, and it's going to pay dividends, and you're going to ride that to the Super Bowl. On the opposite side of that, though, when you spend that type of money on an aging player, what you're talking about is opportunity cost. And what I look at is a guy like Carl Lawson specifically. Spotrak says he's worth about $8.8 million a year. I would argue he's worth more than that. I'd argue that on the open market, teams would actually prioritize him, and his deal is going to come in higher than that on an average annual value. But he was second in the NFL in quarterback hits last year with 32. He has experience in a 4-3 defense versus Watt, who would just be transitioning from a 3-4, which admittedly is not that big of a deal because you watch Carlos Dunlap, uh, Carl Lawson's former teammate, make that transition via trade from the Bengals to the Seahawks, and he was a pass rush threat until he got hurt. Carl Lawson was 6th the month pressure rate for defensive ends at 14.6. His production came versus left tackles. The youngest edge rusher in the class at 25 years old, which shows you that not only is he a prime pass rusher, but he's going to be there for a while before age really robs him of the things he does well. But his prior injury history... Which his first year and last year has proven hasn't robbed him of anything might suppress his tag his price tag just enough to make it palatable for a lot of teams. (sighs) Even if it came in a little more money than Watt would command, wouldn't that sort of player make more sense if for no other reason than you'd be getting an asset that would be on your roster longer than one or two seasons? It depends on what you think your need is, and this is really important.
4: Do you think your need is broad or do you think your need is specific? I'll give you a great example. So a lot of people think team need and they think only about positions. So you see this happen sometimes when you're playing like dynasty fantasy football, when you're playing dynasty Fantasy, it's not just about the position you need. It's about the position and the levels of years that you need them. So, for example, if the Bills look at their team and say, we need an end, well, then, okay, let's get JJ Watt. What if the Bills look at their team and say, we need a young end? Well, now that changes things. And a lot of that's going to depend on how you feel about AJ Epinesa. Do you feel like you have your young end? And really what you need, because you just let a young end go in Shaq Lawson, and you drafted one, and you ended up signing someone who is markedly older than Shaq Lawson and Mario Addison. Do you feel like you need an end or do you need a young one? How significant do you think JJ Watt has been sapped? Do you ascribe to the idea that if you have specific hand usage and compression techniques as a defensive end, you can age more gracefully? Or do you want to go for bursty and young and energetic where the age might catch up to them in a different sort of way? Different players respond differently to the old man river tapping on their shoulder because some people are able to become savvy vets and use the hands and be able to rush well into their mid-30s and other players are not. Do you think J.J. Watt's one of those players? Because if you think you're going to get three or four good years out of J.J. Watt, then at that point, does it really matter if you sign J.J. Watt or Lawson because the contract's probably not going to be more than three or four years. So if you think you've got a couple years in JJ Watt, then it doesn't matter if your need is end or young end. If you think you don't have a couple more years in JJ Watt, then all of a sudden, from a flow chart standpoint, now you're into, okay, do I need an end or do I need a young end? And then you have to add to that, do I already have my young end with AJ Epinesa? And it gets complicated. It gets real complicated, but you have to break it down situationally. And I think if the Bills think, hey, we can get three good years out at AJ, at AJ Epinesa, the rest of his rookie contract, and we can get another three years out of J.J. Watt, and we can get two more good years out of Jerry Hughes. Then maybe the youth thing doesn't matter to them as much. But if they think, you know what, I don't think we're going to resign Jerry Hughes when his contract is up after next year. I don't think we're going to resign him. And, hey, I, I don't think Mario Addison might be slowing down, which means my future at the position is AJ Epinesa. That's it. If that's what they think, then all of a sudden, maybe paying the same amount for a Carl Lawson as a J.J. Watt all of a sudden makes more sense. It depends on the way that they look at their specific need,
3: not just now, but how they look at it in the future. So this all comes down to opportunity cost. And regardless of what we might think of the matter, can we agree that the team would need to know whether it was in or out on Watt and what his final price tag is? prior to the week of free agency so that they can make their interest in some of these other pass rushers. Because let's face it, the fact that we're interested in JJ Watt underscores that we're in on a lot of pass rushers this year. (laughs) They need to solve that last domino before we can figure out what the team wants to really do big picture for this team. I would agree with that. Yeah. I would absolutely agree with that. Chris, I love it when smart people agree with me because once in a while I know what the hell I'm talking about. It usually doesn't happen outside of
1: this room, but
3: a lot of the time behind this microphone, I'm right. I don't like it. I know you don't. In that way, Watch will need to get resolved one way or the other. As we leave, I want to do a lightning round kind of around the room. Top position of need going into free agency and dark horse position that you think the team might spend at. I mean... Chris Spielman, it was funny, I read an article at Pro Football Talk today, talked about you fill voids in free agency, but you can't build the locker room. The Bills are in good shape on that front. And short of retaining their own players, namely Milano and Williams, or simply replacing those two on the open market, given how important the positions are, I'd like to kind of walk away from here with just getting an idea of, especially not so much Chris, which is why we'll start with him, <laughs> I mean, the amount of hair gel he uses kind of disqualifies him from having smart football opinions. Use them to make your hair stand. Uh, Bruce, you're seeing this. You can actually see us.
1: There's, Yeah, there's a handful of things. Nobody uses a gel anymore. There's a paste, a pomade, or a clay. Oh, my God. Bruce, do you see I have all of them.
3: I'm listing to one side like an old boat, and as he's talking about (laughs) using hair products, I'm just, it's like it's slowly killing
1: I've got a lot. I've got a clay, a pie I know beige, you do. I see paste. you want to go
3: take a piss in your bathroom, and it makes me want to choke you I've out got with a two
4: towel. Two pastes. I've <laughs> I've got, the I've important got thing, Chris, is, are you a sorry. dapper Dan man? Am I a what? Are you a dapper Dan man?
1: I don't even know
3: what
4: that oh, no. is.
3: Yep. Have you?
4: Have neither one of you seen "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou"? Oh, I have. No. I understand. That Dan is the pomade if that you, George Clooney's character uses in that movie. Go see that movie immediately, Chris.
3: No, no. Here is what you don't understand. Chris has never seen any movies. He hasn't seen a single mob movie. Um, in fact, the only movies he knows are Coneheads
1: and Coneheads, Orange County, anything Tommy with Boy, anything Black with uh,
3: Chris Farley in it or Will Ferrell. Yeah. those are that's his cinematic. Expertise. So we
1: could
4: we could lie to him and say Chris Farley's in that movie. Now,
3: See, just, this is why I like you. <laughs> this is why I like you. I know you. George Clooney's in Old oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? I digress. Top need going into free agency and Dark Horse where we think the team might spend some money that would surprise people. Chris, you go first.
1: Um, well, you know what? I do have a, a, a Seagram's bet with our listener, Jason Hicksonbaugh, on us signing... J.J. Watt. I don't think we will. I'm kind of like you watching football games where you just you still think we're bad but you haven't accepted that we're good yet. I haven't accepted that like this is a destination that people want to come. But I'm kind of with Bruce on the the pay scale. You know, if we can get him at a reasonable price, I'll be fine with it. That him playing two full seasons over the last five years kind of scares me. I think we'll spend money at the, uh, on the D-line considering what, we, what you guys have talked about that we can cut and have cap savings and then just pour that money into hopefully younger players.
3: See, let me articulate that a little bit further because, Bruce, my top need is pass rusher. The Bills finished 2020 ranked 23rd in pressure percentage. Generating pressure on the quarterback on just one fifth of all passing attempts, which finished second, and they also finished second lowest in quarterback hurry percentage of any playoff qualifying team, at just 7.8%. Those aren't the worst in the NFL. It's not even among the worst of playoff teams. I mean, when you talk about the pressure percentage, Cleveland, Green Bay, and Tennessee all finished lower, but did any of them make it to the show? No! And it's notable that of teams that finished in the top half of the league in that metric, eight made the playoffs, five won a playoff game, and two of them appeared in the Super Bowl. With the secondary as talented as ours, finding more pressure could elevate this defense back to 2019 form. Maybe even to 2017 form when that defense carried us to a playoff appearance, while also helping us hide warts like cornerback two. And with our offense finally clicking, could be the thing that keys us for a championship run. And d- my dark horse is punter. Now, don't you laugh at me! I see... Oh, don't you roll your eyes at me, Chris. Corey Behorquez was arguably one of the NFL's top punters last year, despite the team rarely needing to utilize him. The franchise hasn't had consistency in that department in years. And while he did have some holds on kicks... That left our friend, Mr. Nice Guy, Reed Ferguson, looking like he wanted to lambaste him with a scathing series of darn news. And I'll see you in heck. (laughs) The reality is when you keep a special teams group like that together, I think there's some importance to keeping kicker, punter, placeholder, long snapper. I think there's some synergy there. And I think that the team could spend some money there, which might upset some people when they see that he's being paid over a million dollars. Bruce, the floor is yours. What do you think on the topics?
4: I think right tackle is extremely interesting to me for all the reasons that we previously mentioned. I think if Darrell Williams doesn't get resigned, I mean, I think your best option out here is someone who just got released, which is Ricky Wagner. And I do think that the compensatory pick discussion starts to matter. And so when you sign a right tackle who was just released, it does not count against your compensatory. So if you're not able to sign Darrell Williams because he goes somewhere and gets double digit million dollars a year, you might be able to throw a few dollars at Ricky Wagner and kind of platoon the position behind somebody. And then you got to go into the draft and pick a young tackle and have him groomed behind Ricky Wagner. So I think that that's a really important position. I would not be shocked to see them spend money at guard this offseason. When you have yeah, when you have a team who not only admittedly loves John Feliciano, they love him. Now, John's John Feliciano's spot track estimate is north of eight million dollars a year, which is an absolute heck no for me. But the Bills love John Feliciano and they openly said that they wanted to run the ball more effectively, but that it wasn't on the running backs. So if you say that, what does that sound like to you? If you had a starting guard who entered the year and got released in Quentin Spain, who we all just forgot about, by the by, the way, we just forgot that Quentin Spain ever existed. Got cut in the middle of the year. Not really a lot of discussion about it. I'm not going to lie to you. Lost in the shuffle. And now I'm, we pretend like he doesn't exist.
3: I'm not going to lie to you. I forgot about him until you just brought it up.
4: <laughs> exactly. So you had a guard you cut in the middle of the season. Right. You had Ike Butker get some reps. You have Cody Ford coming back. You love John Feliciano. You say you want to run the ball, but it wasn't the fault of the running backs. That sounds like someone who's going to spend on the offensive line, either in capital or in free agency. So right, tackle and guard are my two spots that kind of fall under this qualification.
1: (sighs) And what is what is Cody Ford this year? Is he a guard or a tackle?
4: I swear by the love of all that is holy and sacred if they move him back to right tackle I'm going to, have to go on a Drew Gear rant.
3: Yes. Oh, are you going to threaten <laughs> the to shoot any objects or burn things break
4: some wicker? The Bruce Almighty takes that are going to come spitting out of my <laughs> microphone because I swear by all that is lo- love the holy and sacred that boy has been through enough leave him for the love of all that is holy and sacred leave him at left guard <sighs> because that's where I think he's most naturally fit.
3: God, Bruce, you're a godsend for joining us tonight helping us meander through these philosophical uh, hurdles that present themselves to the bills before they can even get to free agency. What do you have coming up over at the Bruce exclusive and where can people find me on social if they don't already know, which is shocking to me.
4: Well, thanks for having me guys. I I really appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce exclusive. Fair warning. The Instagram is just pictures of foods and dogs and also memes. That's the only thing I put on my Instagram because that's where people should go for joy. Well, how about they this? should go the to get I, pictures of food and dogs and memes?
3: The things, I, the thing I sent you this weekend, with which the dog that in England was abandoned by its owner and then traveled over a hundred kilometers in order to come back and bite the owner. Like that's hilarious to me. That is the that's awesome. Like that's feel good news. We need Absolutely more good of boy. that.
4: Yes, that's what I want to see on the 5 o'clock news Every single time, you know, I come home and I I click on the 5 o'clock news But but you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive My show, The Bruce Exclusive, is a Buffalo Rumblings podcast It drops every Thursday and Friday on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network That you can access wherever you are currently listening to this show As previously mentioned, we do have some uh, Latin discussions That revolve around, you know, uh, logical fallacies coming up this week And... We're going to do a couple live things coming up in the coming weeks. Yes, that's right. We're doing live things. Did I you not hear this?
3: Spent, I almost just spit. You're going to be live? Oh. I'm going a
4: live show on, on, on the Locker Room app oh. this Wednesday. And moving forward, I'm going to try and do it every Wednesday for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to do a live show on the Locker Room app where people can essentially join me for an open discussion. And I can bring them up on quote unquote stage is what they call it, where they can have their takes like they were calling into a radio show and we can talk about these things. And so that's something pretty exciting that's coming up because I have wanted to try to find a way to get into the interactive live space without being on a YouTube show, because I'm not entirely sure how. uh, interactive and fun a youtube show would be if it was just a a picture of a an icon (laughs) and my computer screen (laughs) for an hour so locker room has come up with this app where we can kind of have a audio only live discussion and so we're going to do it on wednesday this week which will be let's see this is goodness gracious it might be the next day or the day of you listening to this so that'll be fun and that's kind of something we got to
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: What do we got going on? Bruce Nolan. Go find him on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. You know, he was talking about doing his, uh, his thing there, which could be. Uh today basically if you're listening to this on the locker room app we should throw out the nugget that the locker room app only available in the apple store which is crazy if you're android users like us we can't access the locker room app because we have android phones we will never own iphones ever oh never i will never own an iphone i'll die yeah Yeah.
3: That seems extreme. I know coming out of my mouth now that I hear it,
1: like... No, no, I'm fine with it. (laughs) I will join you in that. I hate Apple products and iPhones.
3: I just don't like the fact that it's built for people with small thumbs. I can see that. Look look at these.
1: Look at this. You've got man hands.
3: I've I've got catcher's mitts. Yeah, you do. I, I can't use an iPhone. No, you can't. They're too dainty. Be on the lookout for our AFC's Roundup podcast. We close out our divisional offseason preview series with Elfar Tiago of three yards per carry. We're going to be talking about the Miami Dolphins, and what we might expect from them is the offseason sets up ahead of us, kind of the same way we did tonight with the Buffalo Bills, ahead of free agency. It's a lot of fun. We had a blast tonight, just me getting to bounce my just mania off of somebody a little more studied than myself. I feel better about this. And so should everybody else. But we gotta get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Bruce Nolan. And this has been your Rockpal Report.